Welcome to Continuum, a podcast dedicated to your health. We'll introduce you to individuals throughout the healthcare world, from patients to providers, with a focus on inspiration and education. In this episode, Brisa Alfaro shares her incredible story. A stroke victim at just 32 years old, Brisa suffered from Lockton syndrome. Having made a near full recovery, Brisa now uses her experiences to inspire others. Thank you for joining us today, Brisa. Uh, we are really happy to have you. You are our first guest officially uh, of this podcast series. It's really awesome. And as I mentioned last week to you, you know, you are really a, a quintessential guest for us. Yeah. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So we were just talking. You're, you have now, how many years has it been since you had uh, your pond stroke? Uh, four and a half. Four and a half years. Okay. So let's talk about Brisa before you had a pond stroke. Okay. So... I was a cosmetologist. I was 32 years old when it happened. I was traveling in the beauty industry. I was going all over uh, to different salons and hair shows and teaching my my industry uh, when it happened. I was very busy. I had a lot on my plate. I honestly didn't think of it as a bad thing. I just thought, well, I'm young and I don't have kids, I'm not married, I mean, I might as well stay busy. And that's what I did. I Every moment that I had free, I filled it up with something else. And I I enjoyed what I did, so I never thought twice about it. Right. And, and you were based out of, where were you? You were based out of New York? So I lived in California and I moved to New York. Okay. And I was, I moved to New York because I was traveling to New York often for work. I enjoyed it so much I ended up living there, and then I traveled to California for work. Then later I flipped it around. I missed my family, so I came back to California, and I was traveling back to New York often for work, and that's where it happened. I was in one of my travels Hmm. for work in New York, and I was about to do a big hair and nail show in California, Queens, New York, and that's when it happened. Wow. I, I went in to the doctors because I uh, had a symptom that was unrelated to my stroke that I found out now, but I was having severe allergies. And I went in to, because I work in the beauty industry, I didn't want to be on stage looking crazy. My face was very swollen and I, I was my eyes were puffy. It, it looked really bad. So hmm. I went into emergency and I asked them, uh, I don't know what's going on, but can you guys fix this? Because I got to work tomorrow. And <laughs> the lady just said, uh, Yeah, come right in. And she, I bypassed everybody in the in the lobby and I just went straight to the emergency room. And the doctors immediately started running tests and starting an IV and everything, it was pretty quick that happened. And while I was, I was in the emergency room, 
I remember there there was a car accident that happened with the young kid, and the doctors and nurses that were working on me, like trying to get me started, they a few of them left me, and a few of them mm-hmm. stayed with me, and they they were left to go help him, and I clearly I was fine, so I wanted them to go help him, and I still had two doctors or nurses working on me, and I. I said to them, I'm fine, go help him. And they didn't respond to me. And I I said, literally, I'm, I'm okay, I can wait. And they just stayed with me. Hmm. And then later they, they kept asking questions about me. And like one of them, because I, I thought I was going to be there only for a few minutes, not long. Right. I They gave me a gown to put on, but I... I kept my clothes on underneath and I put my gown on and the doctor said, does she have anything on under this? And I was like, yeah, but it's not a big deal. And, and, and just like that, I was talking to him like normal and he didn't respond to me either. And I didn't, I thought everybody was ignoring me and everybody was just, uh, kind of treating me like I wasn't talking and it, it didn't matter what I was saying and and that's when I guess I, apparently I was already locked in yeah. at that point and that's why the doctors were all working on me still because I was already locked in and it was I was unaware of it wow so that's then huh. fast forward a few weeks later I woke up from I'm not sure if I, if I was still in my coma or if I woke up from my coma, but I couldn't speak then either. So people yeah. would come and visit me, and I would tell them, I'm okay, don't worry, I'm okay. And and they didn't respond to what I was saying. They were, you know, clearly upset. And my boss came to visit me, and I was just apologizing and telling her that, I'm sorry I didn't show up to work. I would never do that to you. You know I would never. And she didn't respond. She was just crying. And I realized then, like, nobody can hear me. Yeah. So so. I, so, what's interesting to me is that you are – so, obviously, uh, we think and we say words and things, but also part of communicating is body language and physical mo- movements. So – as you're first dealing with the effects of a pond stroke, you're not really, you're also thinking that your body is moving as well? Oh, yeah. Wow. Fascinating. I, I, I thought that I was, and these, this is the early stages, hmm. the beginning stages of, of when I found out that I was locked in. And I, because sure. I didn't know, I mean, I was 32 years old. I would have never in a million years thought that I would have had a stroke. I right. mean, I know strokes are possible with young people, even infants and babies in the womb. Mm-hmm. But it's just like everything else. You never think it's going to happen to you. Right. And and I honestly, I never, I never thought that. So in the very beginning stages when everything first happened, I still had no idea what a Han stroke was or locked-in syndrome or anything like that so i was very confused and i just was so so that's trying to understand this is a good time to talk about 
and and explain what exactly a pawn stroke is and what locked in is? So um, it didn't. Okay, so most strokes happen on the left side of your brain or the right side. Sure. Mine happen in my brain stem, and your brain stem controls all basic activities in the human body. So what this means is that you can have a thought like I want to move my arm or or talk or anything, but your brain stops sending those signals to the rest of your body. And it's almost like you have a roadblock. So everything that's stuck in your brain, everything that's in your brain is stuck in your brain and there's no communication hmm. to your brain and body. So the wow. best way I can describe it is if you think of a town and the town is your brain. Now something can happen on the left side of your brain or that town and you can't enter that area right away. Just like if something happened in the right side, you won't be able to enter that area right away. But if something happens in your ponds, it's the middle, the main highway going into that town. Mm -hmm. And it stops all form of communication. So everything that's in your brain stays in your brain. And if you want it to come out, there's a roadblock now yeah. and it can't come out. So it's essentially stuck in your brain. So you can have thoughts and you can think you're talking and think of what you want to say, but you can't express them. So you are locked in your own brain. Wow. That's essentially what locked in syndrome is. Wow. So fast forward, you have your pawn stroke, you have locked in syndrome. You're given a, I believe a 1% chance of, of recovery. Uh, to getting back to traveling and your career and everything as, as it was before. Yeah, they gave me a less than 1% chance of wow. survival when they were talking to my family. And, huh. and over time, I was hearing it. And I remember thinking, so you're saying there's a chance? Because I wasn't <laughs> not going to give up. I thought, okay, so it's not cut off completely. I have a 1% chance. There's a chance there. Right. I'm going to fight and find it, whatever it is. And I had help, of course. My family and friends and everybody around me stayed very positive and, and kept me very positive. And, like, you know, you can do it. And they never, they never accepted that this was going to be my outcome. And because they never accepted it. Right. I never accepted it, and I knew that I had to work on finding that chance. Sure. So, and so what was? Can you describe for us the moment, if you recall, when you you were like, "Okay, it's time to time to get to work here. I'm I'm gonna beat this. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this around." Yeah, it was very it was a very spiritual moment for me. I was never a very spiritual person before. I mean, I, I believed in things, but I didn't, I wasn't um, super religious or anything like that. But I remember I was very frustrated at the fact that nobody could hear what I was trying to say. And I was frustrated at this, my, my state, my, my body and where I was physically and 
I remember thinking, but I have so much to do. This can't be it. And I remember trying to fight. And when the doctors would come in and ask me, Risa, can you show us a sign? Because my mom would always notice that she would talk to me and I would, I would furrow my eyebrows or I would flinch or, or something. She saw some movement and she would tell the doctors, I think she's moving on command. And they would say, no, no, those are involuntary movements. Those, those are not, not uh, what you think that they are. Hmm. So they would come in often and check my my movements and when they would hold my hand up and ask me to do something or anything they would ask me can you move your fingers can you open your hand I would I would try to do it but imagine like a, a energy beam traveling through my from my brain all the way to my hand and I'm working trying to get that energy beam to hit my hand so that I can move my fingers. And just as the doctors would say she's not doing it, that energy beam would retract back and I would give up. It was exhausting. So one time, one doctor said, give her more time. And when he said that, uh, I, I believe that someone came to me Someone that had passed away that was very close to my family had came to me and gave me the strength and was talking to me. And I thought that she was there because, I mean, I was in New York, so I was thinking, what is she doing here? She's, I mean, she lives in California. What is she doing here? That's cool that she came all the way out here. But I didn't realize, like, she was giving me the pep talk that I needed to keep trying, keep trying. So I kept trying. They were asking me, open your hand, show us a sign. And again, here goes that energy beam all the way traveling from my brain, through my neck, to my arm, all the way to my hand. And as she was telling me, come on, Brisa, you could do it. I was like, no, I can't do it. That energy beam's basically staying in my arm. And she said, get, you know, get to your hand. She was trying to get me to open my hand. And I just told her, I, ca- I can't. And oh. in that moment, she grabbed my hand and opened my hand. And that, that's when all of the doctors, all of my family, and everyone around started jumping up and down and screaming <laughs> that I did it. I opened my hand. and. Wow. That's a moment that my family will never forget. It's a moment that I'll never forget. And I know that I had help, but that energy beam finally reached my hand and opened my hand, gave the doctors hope, and realized that I am now going to start a recovery journey. Yeah. So the percentage went up <laughs> at the that point to say. The percentage went up. To, mm-hmm. to I did have obvious. to relearn how to do everything all over again as if I was a newborn baby so connecting things when I opened my eyes I had to connect the fact that the person or the thing that I was looking at in front of me was an actual person and not only was it an actual person it's the person that the noise is coming from that that's that's where it's coming from it's a they're talking to me so I was having to process that and realize like yeah 
that's a real person, that's a real noises, everything around me are real things. So I had to learn, but everything. Sure, because you've gotten, you've gotten used to, you, so what, what I'm hearing is you kind of got used to being locked in. So not only did you have to get your, I'm going to you know, simplify it, it's like your coordination back, but you also had to get used to not being locked in anymore in a sense. Is that? Correct. Wow. Okay. Correct. So, so and, and I did have to relearn everything. I was like a, a newborn baby. So I was, I had to learn how to hold up my own head in the hospital bed to sit up in my bed or stand up with support, yeah. sit up in a wheelchair, walk with a walker, later with a cane, and eventually I learned how to walk unassisted. So, wow. So, so Brisa, your, your whole story is milestone after milestone, we could argue. What would you say after you opening your hand for the first time, I would consider that a substantial uh, uh, part of this story. What would you? What was the next sort of moment that you and your family will never forget? What um, could you elaborate? Well, yeah, on, on when that many happened. Of those. Many of those because yeah. Also, what what affected me was, and I didn't realize it, but it was my short term memory, because of my long-term memory. So people would come in and they would ask me, do you remember me? And do you remember? Of Hmm. course I remembered them because my long-term memory was not affected. So when I was able to speak and they would ask me, do you remember my name? Yes, I remembered their name. But not until, you know, months later when I was already released and home I realized that I had short-term memory because I didn't, no one really expected me to remember anything laying in my hospital bed. But when I was home, I remember my mom, she was taking care of me and she said, I'm going to take the dog to the dog groomers. Will you be okay for a couple of minutes on on the couch by yourself? I said, yes, mom, I'm not going to get up. I'm fine. So she left, took the dog. And then my best friend came over, and I noticed that the dog wasn't there. And I thought, oh, no, she must have let her out. And that's when I had her looking everywhere for the dog. And I called my mom, and I'm crying, and I'm bawling, and I'm asking, telling her, Mom, I'm so sorry I lost your dog. I let her out. Um, My best friend came over and opened the door, and she must have got out during that time and my mom said no Brisa remember I took her to the dog groomers today but there was nothing that I could have known like during the time I was looking for her dog frantically I was so upset there was nothing I could do to remember that she took the dog to the dog groomer until I heard the words until she Hmm. told me I took the dog to the groomers. Then I realized, oh, yeah, she did. Hmm. So now, then I realized, okay, I have short-term memory. There's there's a lot of things that I've been hiding. Like I used to fake it and say I changed the passwords on all of my uh, 
computer, all of my devices, so I can't uh, remember them. But the truth is, I had just changed them before I went on the trip. So that's why I couldn't remember. That was a little bit more short-term. So, And I was having a problem with numbers and a memory. So some of those... Some of those things were really hard to work through. But when I was able to do something, I celebrated it as if it was a big deal. So instead of, like, I remember when I tied my shoes for the first time. I mean, I practiced and practiced and practiced tying my shoes. The first time I did it, I celebrated it. The first time I did anything, I celebrated it because this way I could look forward to what else I can do, right. not focus on all the things that I couldn't do now. Yeah. So I think that helped me a lot in my recovery. Yeah, the, the so ritual, if you will, surrounding. Yeah. So, so now here we are. We're, we're learning things. Uh, now, were you, in, were you in inpatient rehab at that point or were you at home? I was an inpatient rehab for a long time, and then at home when I, that dog story, that yeah. my mom's dog story, that was, I was finally released, and I was home. Okay. Now, I didn't realize I had short-term memory issues until I came home. Right. In that, yeah, I could see it. Now, do you feel like you've gotten some of that back, or is that just, that's part of... Um... Absolutely. There are <laughs> There are times that... That I have, I struggle with it a lot, but I do, I do uh, feel that it's coming back to me quicker. So, the way that I describe it is, I have all my memories, I have everything I want to say, I have all the things that have, that I've been struggling with in the past. And when people ask me a certain question, and I struggle with my memory on that, I feel like it's, I'm digging through files in my filing cabinet. Mm-hmm. The only problem is somebody came and knocked over that whole filing cabinet. So now all my files are on the floor. Right. So if I'm asked to come up with an answer on something, whether it be math or, or a memory, uh, to recall a certain memory or something, I will, you know, sift through that pile of files until I find the right one. Now... Over time, it's getting easier, and I am finding the correct file to answer the person accordingly, quickly. It's it's becoming a little easier. Right. Sometimes I can't find the file at all, but right. I, I realize it's a process, and it's getting better. So I just kind of roll with the punches and not try to focus on them, because then I get really depressed and down and 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 I start wondering why this happened to me and then I have to learn to switch my focus to listen it why not it could happen to anybody so why am I a rare exception right. just roll with it and get better and that's what I've been doing yeah yeah there that that's that's the the best way to put it really I think you really you you have to look at things that way and the other reality is is someone always has it worse right someone always has it better someone always has it worse always i mean i've learned that ultimately life is 
what we make of it and what we choose to do with the cards that we were dealt. And we can keep complaining about our so-called fate Mm. or luck, or we can change it. It's up to us to change it. Well, as I understand, luck is being in the right place at the right time, but being prepared for it. So I kind of I kind of go by that. I believe that, yeah, <laughs> absolutely true. But it is it's uh it's so inspiring and and it's a great reminder really to anybody and 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 yes you you were dealt quite a card, um, but this applies to anything even if like they get you know, well you name it. But now let's talk about Brisa after all of this. And I know it's an ongoing thing. We were just talking about you're still going to surgeries and things like that. So it's ongoing. But the bulk of this whole scenario has, 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 has ended. You're not in inpatient rehab anymore. You are a, back to being a con- contributing member of society. So what is life like now? Right now, I am learning to become an inspirational speaker, and I'm learning to be able to share my story on many platforms all over the place. And your podcast is actually my first podcast that I've done, and I plan to do many in the future. And I've been invited to speak at different organizations and and things like that, and just to share my story and try to help people understand that it can look really bad. Life can look really, really bad, but if you change your focus on the positive and not just say that you are, hmm. yes, you can have bad moments, and you can get mad and cry and Eventually, you need to get over it, and you need to get back up and keep moving forward, because if you don't, no one else will. I knew that nobody else could fight my fight. I needed to fight it. So I needed to get over the fact that I used to be a avid kickboxer, and now I can't even you know, hold something in my left hand, and I can't even walk properly, and I couldn't even hold a two-pound weight. I mean... I had to get over the little hurdles in order to move past them and get to my desired destiny. And that's basically what I'm focusing on is I know that right now I'm learning to become a speaker and share my story on many platforms. And it's it's not an easy industry to break into, but I feel like I have a message. I have a story. I want... I feel like I was saved for a purpose of inspiring other people and helping them realize that they need to keep going. Life sucks sometimes, and you just have to suck it up and get through it. And, I mean, that's why there's a lot of people out there in this world that live with disabilities, and they are doing remarkable things. Yeah. And if they can do it, why can't we? I really like the two words that you used. You used them in passing, but boy, oh boy, did they jump out at me, and that was desired destiny. Not what's going to happen to me, what if this, what if that, what if this does this, or whatever. No, it's desired destiny. 
I believe that. I, yeah. I believe that I, I have the ability to manifest my own outcome in life. And if I really, really work hard at it and focus on it every day, just as, as, as I did in the very beginning. I remember in the very beginning I was wanting to, to talk like amongst everybody, just have normal conversations. But my brain was not keeping up in conversation. So mm. even, even watching a movie with my family and friends, was difficult for me. So my family would think, well, let's, let's watch a movie with Brisa. That's something we could all do with her. Right. So they'd put it on, and I was not processing, because movies move very quickly. So I was not processing that information as quick as a normal brain would. So I didn't know. When they would laugh, I didn't know. It was funny. Okay, I got to laugh. So they would cry. Okay, I got to cry. And, and I was kind of keeping up with their emotions, not really uh, paying attention to the movie. I would get little bits and pieces of it. Yeah. And I realized with that, like, just like I had to fake it to make it, to <laughs> understand, to watch a movie, to hang out with my family, I had to fake it to make it until it was real. And then I could understand and laugh when I was supposed to and cry when I was supposed to. Just like I did it then, I have to do it now. Hmm. So if I need to be, if I want to become this successful speaker and be able to share my story on these amazing and great platforms, I need to act as if. And that's what I did before, and it worked for me, and that's what I'm <laughs> focusing on it now. It sure did. I need, I need to it, do that. It so. sure did. Yeah, it's amazing. I understand you're working on a book. I am. I've been writing a listen. Writing a book is no joke, man. I <laughs> I've been writing it for a few years, and and my family kind of tells me like, Risa, take it easy. It's only been four years since your stroke, but I feel like I don't want to waste any more time. I I have to get my my book done. So yeah. I've I've been writing, and I eventually I'm going to need help putting it together. But I'm Sure. Writing all my little stories that pop into my brain and putting, trying to put it all together. Eventually, I will have it published, and I'll be able to share my story with more people. Uh, I look forward to that. I think we all do, yeah. uh, especially after after hearing this. Uh, yeah, I imagine you're you've got a a lot of stories to put into that book. Uh, as I said, I mean, every day must have been a milestone. Every day that I opened my eyes, I was like, all right, cool, we got this. So it was another day. Yeah. I was excited about it. You know, there was a point in a couple times in my life uh, or in my recovery journey where I would go to sleep at night and I would just think and pray, like, I pray I wake up tomorrow. Wow. I just wanted to wake up tomorrow. That was my main concern, and I woke up the next day. I opened my eyes, and I would remember thinking, oh, okay, cool, I'm alive, so let's make the best out of this day. And I feel like if everybody did that, if everybody lived every day, and yeah. they are so lucky, they're so blessed that today you're able to open your eyes and live it out. Yeah. What are you going to do? 
Are you just yeah. going to waste it, or are you going to do something, you know, phenomenal? Whether Whatever it is, whether it's spend time with your family or or get to your goals that you've been wanting to do. Yeah. I think it's important to be, you know, excited about opening your eyes in the morning right. because so many people don't have that opportunity anymore. And I feel like it's our responsibility to have it for them. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm learning as I go, and a lot of things are helping me. Like in the very beginning, I used to have my family put something up for me, and I didn't realize that it helped me as much as I did. It did, but they put a board in front of a front in front of me in the hospital, and this is back when I was locked in. Yeah, they put a picture. They put pictures of like a collage on a board of me in a healthy state. All over this board was me and traveling and doing fun things and. They said that they did it because they want the doctors to know that I was a real person and this is the girl that you're treating. And I saw it as that's the girl that I want to be again. Right. So I was constantly looking at that vision board, basically what I call it a vision board, because yeah. it was who I wanted to become again, a healthy girl and yeah. doing all these fun things. Yeah, and that's some, that's some motivation. That's great. I, manifested it so it only made sense to me to continue to make vision boards of what i want to see mm. in my future so i'm i've been uh continuing on that journey and i i will forever do vision boards and i i have something that's called a live list instead of a bucket list mm. i call it a live list uh, and huh. I just put on there every little milestone that I want to accomplish. I did it when I was back in the hospital when I could finally write and people could understand my writing. I was uh, writing, I want to be able to stand up on my own when I take a shower because I used to have to sit. I want to be able to drive again. I want to be able to uh, eat again and because I was being fed through a tube in my stomach. Jeez. I any little thing I want I put on that list and I crossed it off every single time I was able to to do it and do it consistently like tying my own shoes. Yeah. I I got to ask. Sure. There was Brisa before the pawn stroke and locked in and now there's Brisa after. Are there things do you notice any uh, and these are relatively mundane differences. Do you crave different foods? Do you like different styles? Do you know what I mean? The things that are sort of trivial in life. Do you notice? Have you changed at all in in areas like that? Like, oh, I used to not like country music, and now I do for some reason. I think you know what I mean. I know it sounds silly, but I, oh yeah, yeah, I totally get it. Yes, I. There's a lot of things that I've. That, like food was a big thing because I was always, you know, busy and dieting and all that stuff. So food right. was really kind of there, but not a huge, I wasn't a big foodie. So I became a big foodie after <laughs> the fact that I could eat again. And yeah, I get that. So <laughs> all of a sudden, all these foods had so much flavor and I paid attention to everything about it. 
also other things like uh, the elements. I remember the first time it rained and I smelled the rain. I love the smell of rain. Where before, I it was just in passing. You, you I didn't, didn't register, really right? It. I think it's called petrichor. So, is the the smell the name of what it smells like after a, a rain or something? Uh, anyway. Yeah, uh, I remember when I was in the hospital. I never knew if I was going to be able to feel. Uh, I remember the first time I went outside, they they wheeled me outside and I felt the breeze hit my skin and then it started sprinkling and they said, oh, we're going to take you back in. And I said, no, let me feel this because I now experience everything as if it's the first time. Yeah, And I really pay attention to how it makes me feel, whether it's watching the sun go down or standing in front of the ocean and just hearing the waves crash, just every little thing, I will promise myself that I will never, ever take those things for granted. Even if, it, if it's something as simple as I'm being stuck in traffic, I'm in traffic right now. Well, you know what? I get to be stuck in traffic right. because there was a time that I couldn't even drive. Yeah. That I didn't even, they didn't even think that I would ever, you know, walk again, let alone drive again. So the fact that I am in a car, in my own car, by myself, in traffic, I'm blessed. Yeah. And I'm not going to look at it in a negative way. I am lucky to be in traffic right now. So all these negative things that people look at, I've learned and I myself will look at them negatively, and I have to, like, snap myself out of it because yeah, you every know once better. in a while i I got to remember what where I came from and what happened to me and what could happen again. So I always look trying to look at things in a positive light. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that I now maybe I used to take for granted before, but I don't anymore. And... One of the biggest things, I think, is pizza. <laughs> Interesting. Sure. I love pizza. So that was but. not really something that we would associate with Brisa in the first 32 years of your life, but now it is. Totally. I love, uh, I, I would say, little things. Uh, let's see. I love pizza. I love I love actually running. I never used to be a runner, but I remember my doctor said I'll never walk again, and I was like, watch, I'm going to run, and now <laughs> I run, so uh, I, I, love, I love running now. Um, I love sloth because <laughs> when I was uh, learning how to walk and everything, my family used to tease me and call me a sloth because I was so slow, oh, yeah. and so now I just love sloth. Uh, yeah, so, they um, yeah. they're interesting creatures. For sure. <laughs> they're very slow. They're very we were slow, we were just at the the, the Baltimore Aquarium. My my, I have twin daughters. It just turned three uh, like a month ago, uh, exactly a month ago, and uh, yeah, they they have a couple of sloths in the in the rainforest uh, section of uh, of the aquarium, and yeah. uh, it must have resonated with one of my kids because we came home with like this big like huge stuffed sloth. That now is in her bed, and it's, I think oh, it's bigger than she is. I have one too on my bed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're definitely close. 
I'm glad they move so slow because those claws are nuts. Um, are scary. <laughs> well, yeah. well, that's so interesting. And that, and that is, it's one of those things. I mean, all, yeah, obviously it's just such a compelling and such an inspirational story. So it's interesting to, to, to hear you talk about these sort of, just subtle differences from before you had your stroke to, to, to now and just the little things that have kind of changed in the underpinnings of who you are. And it's, it's, it, it's kind of wild. Experience, I, sure. I it's not the, maybe not the, <laughs> uh, the most inspirational part of this podcast, but it's, it's interesting to me. So, yeah. Hey. Um, well, I think we're going to wind down here because, I, you're making me want to go run a marathon and and <laughs> <laughs> so I I have created this hashtag. Mm, uh, yes, it's hashtag no more bad days because I feel like every day that I'm alive and well, it's got to be a good day. So I feel like if I keep seeing that over and over, no more bad days, and I'm eventually. I'm going to believe it. I can have bad moments in my day, but I'm going to let that just be a moment. Right. And then I'm going to move past it, and I'm going to enjoy my the rest of my day that I have the opportunity to live. So that's why I go out there, and I'm always talking about no more bad days, and people ask me where I came up with that, and yeah. that's basically all it is. I just... I want people to ask themselves, is this a bad day or a bad moment? Because we have bad moments, but at the end of the day, I mean, you just said you have two little girls, right? Yes. How many times do you have a bad moment in your day and you're so mad, but then you go home and you see your little girl's faces and now that moment is over. Right. It's not about having a bad day. This it's is only true. about focusing on the good things and the things that are going to get you out of it. Yeah, you can have bad moments and kick and scream and be pissed off. Let it go after. Give it the time that it deserves or whatever you want to give it. Then move on Right. and enjoy the rest of your day. So with that being said, I have um, a Facebook and I'm starting a new Instagram. I haven't done it yet, but... Uh, be greater with Brisa. Oh and wow, I like it. Yeah. Well, I know, no doubt. I mean, just by using the the hashtag No More Bad Days, we we should be able to find you just about anywhere, uh, which is great. Yeah. Hashtag No More Bad Days or hashtag Be Greater or Brisaalfaro dot com. Is that a is that a potential book title as well? My book, yes. That's I do. I so I go off of Be Greater. Hmm. And uh, no more bad days. So I kind of use those two to live my life. So I I hope that it inspires other people to live their life the same. And yes, that is a very p- big potential on my book. So yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, your story is definitely inspiring. Yeah. Thank you. And I, so I think we're we'll we're gonna end here. Uh, if this story doesn't put a pep in your step, I don't know what to do for you. Brisa, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, check your pulse. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Uh, our first episode of Continuum. 
Jason. I just can't wait to get this out in front of people. Yeah. Well, again, Brisa, thank you so much for joining us. I want you to have a great, great rest of the week, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. All thank right, everybody. Jason thank and you. Kyle, thank you guys so, so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. A pleasure. All right. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you. Our guest today was Brisa Alfaro. To learn more about Brisa's inspiring journey from pond stroke survivor to no more bad days, check out the show notes on the Continuum blog at vibrahealthcare.com blog or search for the hashtag no more bad days on your favorite social channel. If you enjoyed our conversation with Brisa, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting platform. And don't forget to subscribe to receive new episodes as they're released.